Hello and welcome to the 12 Minutes of Workplace Health podcast. I'm Harry Bliss, CEO and co-founder of Champion Health, and today we're joined by Laura Clark, registered dietitian that provides a holistic approach to nutrition in the workplace and beyond. Today we're going to be talking about what we can do as individuals, but also as organizations to promote healthy nutritional behaviors going forwards. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Hello, Laura, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing, Harry? I'm doing really well, thank you, doing really well. Very excited for today's discussion on all things nutrition, but we're also going to venture into a few different areas. Some of the data that Champion Health have found from our annual workplace health report was that at 31 minutes past three is when employees generally flag um, when it comes to their energy levels and their productivity. Just from a nutrition angle, what can we do about that? And is there anything else that we can do as individuals to be able to support um, or prevent that slump? It's such a good point. And the data that you've collected certainly supports what the research tells us today, doesn't it? I think the first thing to note with this is we have to get people comfortable with coming back into their bodies a little bit and tuning in to what their bodies are really telling them. There is something about us in the workplace that really sometimes switches us off from really basic primal need um, we are pretty good at not going to the toilet when we need to go to the toilet if we're in the middle of a meeting or, or a busy uh, you know a busy round of emailing um, and nutrition is no different um, the people that I work with tend to really not recognize the need to eat until they're ravenously hungry and at that point, we are very much behaving in our sort of primal, instinctive way. We're not going to make proactive human food choices um, when we are ridiculously hungry. And what I find with that middle of the afternoon slump is it's not really something that we can do anything about proactively at that point. It's really a signal that we've got something wrong earlier on in the day and that essentially our biology is catching up with us a little bit. And what can we do around that in terms of food choices? And I know sleep has such a big impact as well. Yeah, we can see that our glucose regulation is much harder for us when we're sleep deprived. In the, uh, so in the morning, we, we don't um, regulate our glucose as well. I think it comes back to basics and sometimes basics feel a bit boring. And I think sometimes we think we're a little bit above that and we can cheat the system a little bit. Um, but I'm a great believer in alongside that permission to tune into what our body is asking for, uh, that we then are able to give ourselves permission to respond to it as well. So certainly if we have busy mornings, we're going to have a higher demand for glucose from a brain perspective and remembering our brain is burning through a lot of glucose even though we might be sat on our bottoms and so we have to fuel our morning we might not consider ourselves to be breakfast people and we certainly don't need to leap out of bed and have that kind of Kellogg's advert beautiful breakfast with the, the table laid and a 
bunch of flowers. But we certainly do need to consider when we are going to start our day, not just relying on caffeine to really squash down what is fundamentally a fuel need that we're not listening to. A Danish pastry is not going to tick the box. We do need to try and give ourselves a source of carbohydrate that's more slow release, ideally combined with protein as well, because that's going to help to regulate our blood glucose levels. So it's simple stuff. It's balanced eating, um, but it is very, very easy to forget the basics sometimes. And I think that is often the way that people are talking about biological hackers and so on. We see so much around that. And actually just sticking to the basics is one of the most powerful things for, for our own individual well-being. So we talked a little bit about ourselves as, as individuals and, and what we can do there to avoid that slump. In terms of from an organisational angle and the perspective from a cultural angle, what can we do to be able to promote healthy nutrition and food choices across our organisation? I think there is something about the working day that gives the impression that we can very easily multitask and that we therefore should. Biologically, actually, we're not really multitasking. We are just task switching, aren't we? And so if we are eating at our desks, if we're keyboard dining, we're not focused on what we're eating. We're only really focused on what's on the screen in front of us. And actually, these days, it might even be multiple screens. You know, we might be switching between the laptop and the phone. Um, and so our brains are constantly under pressure to, to achieve multiple things. And of course, anything that can go into the automatic system, we will do. And food is, is one of the first things that we shelve and that we, we really leave down to, to our automatic behaviour. This, of course, then means that we're not really tasting or savouring the food that we're consuming. Our brain isn't recognising that we've eaten anything. And then lo and behold, when we eventually do switch off and we get home from work, we eat more than 50% of our calorie intake in about an hour and a half. Um, we slump in front of the TV and then we go to bed late because we're faffing. And then we do exactly the same thing the next day. So I think there is something about an organisation recognising that we should be giving ourselves permission to fuel our brilliance. And just because we can wing it and we can get away with it and we can eat in front of the laptop, it doesn't mean that we should. Um, and that we shouldn't be applauded for working through our lunch break or not seeming to need a break. Like that shouldn't be praised. Um, we should actually be saying, let's praise you for taking a rest, for showing the rest of the team that your needs matter and that that matters, right? Um, because it will catch up with us eventually. And what we can achieve in our 20s is not the same as what we achieve in our 40s and 50s. And we can see that in certain work um, roles, can't we? That they really do take their toll um, as the decades roll by. Absolutely. And I think it's something that people can, as you say, celebrate working through your lunch hour and that that whole um, yeah glorifying of that. Mm. Um, and I think it's so important that we do look to give permission to our team to be able to take those breaks mm. sufficiently so they can uh, they can rest recover and make those healthier food choices mm. one of the things that i know we sp spoke about before um this session was your launch of the menopause dietitian would you just be able to share more around that and also when it's going live and how people can get in touch with you Yes, I'm I'm slightly nervous that everyone's going to think that this is my uh, way of telling the world that I am now menopausal, which I'm not. <laughs> um, but certainly I've realised now that I am in my, my 40s that 
the this is really an accumulation of yes my own life stage which is to come but also an accumulation of all of the nutritional holistic knowledge that i have gained in my 20 something year career and it's a point towards the fact that the types of people that i support most um don't lack knowledge they don't just need nutritional information what they need is a more nuanced smarter more holistic approach to their well-being as a whole and going through perimenopause and all that that encompasses for a woman it's such a broad spectrum of symptoms and it's so important that we see how foundational yes nutrition is but also how we look after ourselves how we talk to ourselves how we move ourselves how we care for ourselves and others um it's really an ability i guess or an op- opportunity for me to bring all of that together to to yes talk about nutrition but to put it in the context of that real human being um who let's face it when we're in midlife has a lot on their plate um excuse the pun and a lot to juggle um and a lot to consider so i'm championing um the women out there really to to thrive in these years um and to see the value of nutrition and other parts of well-being to do just that i think it's going to be a really powerful initiative and program that that you're looking to embark on um how can people find out more about that specific area of of what you do so it's all a work in progress i'm on instagram at uh, menopause.dietitian uh, and that's dietitian with a t and uh, the website which is the menopausedietitian.co.uk uh, will be launching in may so uh, look out for that and for now i'm at uh, laura clark nutrition and lecnutrition.co.uk on the web Um, And if you are following me or signing up to my newsletter or anything like that, then you will obviously be the first to hear about (laughs) the launch, etc. So... And I, I couldn't recommend signing up to your newsletter. So that's something that I did a while back and I, I've taken loads away from it. So the final thing that I'd love to discuss today um, with, with yourself, Laura, is around diet culture mm-hmm. and the latest government guidelines for organizations and hospitality organizations, over 250 employees are now stating that you have to um, be able to state the amount of calories on the menu um, next to every single food item. And there seems to be a big movement around the open obesity um, epidemic as some people have framed it Um, but we also know there's a huge issue as well um, with relationships with food too Mm -hmm. whereabouts do you sit within there um, and within the what what the government are looking to to be able to do and also the diet culture as a whole i see where they're coming from i think it's ridiculously simplified and doesn't really address the nuance and the broader issues that we're dealing with here Fundamentally, I think we have to remember that weight itself is not a behaviour. And when we look at the behaviours that are associated with improved mental health, longevity, productivity in the workplace, we can see that there is lots of similarity. People who are able to eat high fibre diets, have plenty of fruits and vegetables, um, move their body in a way that makes them feel good to want to do it, therefore consistently in their lives, Um, who drink alcohol in moderation and don't rely on it as a a coping strategy for excess stress, for example, uh, and people who who refrain from smoking, all have, uh, as I've said, longer lives and improved mental health, irrespective of what they weigh. So 
sticking calories on foods I don't really think addresses what we need to be addressing here, which is that we're not giving people the space and the permission to really look at what drives their behaviours and how we can support them to put foods in their diet that are going to make them fitter and healthier and stronger. It's just, for me, it's just, it's just paying lip service to it. If this was a, if this was genuinely an issue of somebody eating food and not really having an awareness of whether that was good for them or not, we wouldn't have all of the challenges that we have around diet culture and weight stigma and you know it just it just wouldn't be it just is not that simple i don't think anybody is going to look at calories on a label in a in a canteen and as a result of that um make changes that are going to significantly change their health i just don't i just don't think that's it um yes certainly for some people maybe they might say oh okay well the you know the the tomato pasta's got slightly less calories in it than the than the creamy curry. I'll choose the tomato pasta today. But I think if you ask that person that, irrespective of knowing the calories, they would probably be able to tell you which was which was slightly healthier. Don't you think? I, I'm yeah. I'm not sure. I think it maybe has a role to play for some people, um, but certainly calorie counting and getting people obsessed with numbers around calories has not proven itself to be effective. And what's even more nuanced is that the calorie values on those labels aren't even 100% accurate anyway. So there is there is there is so much, you know, that that's not taken into consideration. I just, I you know, it's an effort, but it I doesn't it doesn't do it for me. And I think we, we share that as well um, over our way at Champion. And mm. it is something um, that is is sparking up a lot of debate. So thank you for joining us today, Laura. It's been really useful picking um, your brain on all of these topics and all of these areas. And I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll get many people coming towards you um, for more advice um, on everything we've discussed today. Thank you. For more exclusive insights and content around workplace wellbeing, please subscribe to this podcast. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.